This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, uh, returning, actually, not the first time, Miss Danielle Elia. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. All right, welcome back. So uh, we kind of decided, you know, Tom and I talked about this as uh, this was not initially what we were supposed to record today. Yeah, um, we said and- we had another topic going on, and then Peter texted me earlier today, it's like, I think we should change the topic and do this instead, and I was like, sure, let's go for it, so... And First I think, of all, a little topical. That what we're talking about now is technically not necessarily history because it's it's happening as we speak. So I think we should pre- preface with that, that we are not really going to be talking about more or less. Um, we're not going to be talking about what's happening or what might happen because we, we really don't know. But I think what we could do here is we could talk about the background to what is currently happening. Yeah. The history that is, that caused it today. Yes, the history yeah. that caused a little bit about Putin, a little bit about what you, Ukraine and how Putin views Ukraine and how that led to the events of today. It's like you, you were saying before, Pete, you know, we were getting probably talking about this nonstop today in class. Yeah. I mean, I think I've got asked uh, pretty much every block, right, Danielle? I mean, I don't know about you, but every single block in yeah. class, people ask me about it today. Even during my elective non just history classes that were social studies classes. Yeah. Students had a ton of questions. Even adults, I noticed like a lot of adults were like, yeah. "So what's going on?" Like I, I'm like, "Okay," and and you know, Tom and I had this discussion before we started recording. You know, I've had teachers come up to me and they're like, "How is your family?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, my family's from Poland, um, not Ukraine." But it's it's yeah. interesting that you know you have to almost like explain that, like, "Yeah, there's another yeah. country there, and there's this NATO thing." And it's I think sometimes them. people just assume it's part of the former Eastern Bloc. So it's just yep. all lumped together yeah. and they don't separate it, unfortunately. Yeah. So again, so I guess the premise today will be for the three of us to kind of really have a conversation as to Russia and Ukraine, like background of Russia and Ukraine history, more or less, we'll kind of run through it. Then we'll talk a little bit about Putin, which in itself could be a topic that will, you know, could be a multi-part topic because Putin's an interesting figure. But we'll talk about Russia and Ukraine history. We'll talk about Putin and how he fits into this. And then we'll like really get into the almost like the short term immediate effects of how we got to this point where Vladimir Putin and Russia invaded Ukraine. And that's kind of where we're going to stop, because, again, this is a developing um, situation. So I just thought it would be cool to discuss. Everyone in? Everyone Why in? not? Yes, exactly. We're okay. going to do a little current events, I guess, today. Yeah, very current current events, events. Timeline of events to what's transpiring today. Uh, April 2014, essentially, Russia invades and annexes the Ukrainian peninsula of Crimea. Two secessionist regions, the Donetsk, I can't really say it, People's Republic and the neighboring Luhansk People's Republic. So they break off from Ukraine. They officially say, we're not part of Ukraine. We associate ourselves with Russia. So the war continues in eastern Ukraine in this region. It was known as the region of Donbass. So then it starts to spread west. You have about 14,000 Ukrainian soldiers and civilians die in this conflict since 2014. Eventually stops us 2015 with the Minsk Accords. You have Ukraine, France, Russia, and Germany signed a ceasefire agreement. April of 2019, that's when you have the new guy, Zelensky, becomes president of Ukraine. He's actually a former comedian. He becomes president by supposedly a large majority, and he promises that he's going to restore this Donbass, Donbass region to the country. So he's, he's running on this like 
those two separatist regions that left after Crimea fell, I'm going to bring them back since April 2019, openly talking about joining NATO. So President Putin in 2021 basically, and then the most basic principle, tries to prevent Ukraine's drift towards the United States and its allies. Like he's he's demanding security guarantees from uh, NATO, right? And from Ukraine that they will never, ever join, that Ukraine will never be part of this alliance. And from that point forward, he starts to bring in troops to those borders because he's trying to almost flex his muscles to say, I do not want um, Ukraine to be part of NATO. And he wants these guarantees that are essentially not given. And, you know, then he starts to shift the whole narrative. I mean, even in a speech three days ago, you know, he views Ukraine and capital of Kiev as the birthplace of Russia. Like this is we, you know, Ukraine should never be part of NATO or Western power because it truly is one with Russia. And that's kind of where we are today. I mean, I think that pretty much sums up what happened. Going back initially, though, and, and Tom, you also mentioned this when we had this discussion before clicking recording. Uh, you said you Putin. You read something about Putin having a discussion well, yeah, what, with Bush, with, with George W. Bush, back in early two thousands, where the quote was saying, um, he said, "George, he's talking, you know, George W. Bush." He says, "George, Ukraine isn't even a real country." Like, and that's that's where basically that, that's over twenty years ago, and that's you got to understand that to understand Putin's mindset in a lot of this. And it's not just Putin, but a lot of other people in the area of, of Russia that they see that Ukraine is a common they have common language, common culture. They are part of Russia. They are not an independent country or any country that they are is simply because the Soviet Union allowed them to be to begin with that modern state of Ukraine. So they're not seeing this as an invasion as much as as of setting people free who are there or just requiring territory that they should have anyway. And that's the mindset. That's the what they're going in with. Yep. So it's something to understand, to understand, you know, where he's coming from, how they're putting, the, you want to say putting their spin on it. You want to say just, you know, where, where their minds are. He's, they don't see it as that. It's yep. not something that he sees. And there was some, you know, and, and like researching this, you know, I kind of got into researching this even today because as I'm answering questions to my students, I'm like, all right, well, I know in a decent amount, but like I obviously need to know more. The heritage of the two countries actually goes back more than like a thousand years, right? It goes to Kiev, which is obviously now yes. Ukraine's capital. That was the center of the first Slavic state. It was known as the Kiev's Rus, rather, I should say, um, which eventually becomes R- Russia. Uh, it was the birthplace of both Ukraine and Russia. So Kiev Rus was the birthplace of both countries, right? And then in about 988 AD, uh, Vladimir I, pagan prince of Novograd. Novograd? I think I'm saying that right. Right, Danielle? Novograd, yeah. Yeah. Yes. We're sure we're um, yeah, right? I mean, you're, Danielle's the world history person. She's our specialist here. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, so he was the grand prince of Kiev, and he accepted his Orthodox Christian faith and was baptized in a Crimean city. Basically, that that's the point that Putin points to. You know, that Russia and Ukraine became one people, a single whole, that ultimately it, they that's both arrived yeah, in the same One way. people, one whole. Yeah. Yep. And then thing. for basically 10 centuries, Ukraine has been repeatedly carved up by competing powers, right? Mongol warriors uh, from the east to eventually took over the Kiev Rus and in the 13th century, I think. And in the 16th century of the Polish Lithuanian armies invade from the why west. Would you, why, why would you do that, Pete? Why would your people do I mean, that? I, I don't know. I don't well, know. They're causing problems. See? <laughs> See, what you did in the 16th century, it's causing problems now. Well, actually, interestingly enough, though, a lot of Polish people speak. Ukrainian and Polish is a very similar language because of the very fact similar, that very similar. Very similar. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily understand Russian. 
but I understand a Ukrainian person. Like I could actually hold a conversation with someone that's Ukrainian and I cannot do that with a Russian person. And that's because the um, Ukrainian borders changed so much. And specifically in the 16th century, like Polish and Lithuanian armies invaded from the West and took over like the Western portion of Ukraine, which becomes kind of important to what we're talking about today as to why they associate themselves, the Western portion more so with Europe versus uh, Russia, which would be the Eastern portion. Uh, 17th century, there, um, there was a war between the Polish and Lithuanian Commonwealth and Russia, and obviously Russia won. Um, so Russia takes full control. Um, they could, they take it. over like the left, the left, left part bank. of Ukraine. Yeah, yep. it's like confused. The left part and then the, the right part was, I think, believe still controlled by Poland. And then Russia takes it all over in like the 1700s, 1793, from what mm-hmm. I saw. They take over the, they annex the, the Russian Empire annexes over. And that's when it really starts to flow. That's when it really starts to this Russification, which is put in place when they're really making the Ukrainian people convert to Russian, um, convert to Russian Orthodox faith, things of that nature. And that's yeah, really for, from 1700s, right? Like basically like yeah, 1700s. on, yeah. Yeah, that's on. what I saw. Well, I was going to say, even in the 1700s, you're going to have the partition of Poland between Prussia, Austria, and Russia splitting up even territory in the north. So mm-hmm. it's not uncommon in that area for some of the stronger powers to try to extend their influence as he, as they saw fit for land and territory and rule over more people or subjects at that point, too. And going into what they were essentially doing at this point is Ukraine as a culture was being erased, kind of to like what Tom was saying, right? There was a prohibition of any publication of Ukrainian books. This basically trying to like destroy the Ukrainian language. This is like they're trying to turn Ukraine throughout this this time period into its own a Russian state, more or less. It's a satellite state. Yeah, that's pretty. They're trying to, like Danielle was saying, they're just trying to extend their sphere of influence. The thing that I was seeing, right, is that, and I didn't really realize this, and I, and I probably should have realized this, is that Soviet Union, initially, when it was created in 1922, literally, it was co-created with Ukraine. I was not aware of that. Yeah, until I well, that's one of the big things. That's what Putin cites, too, when he says that, the modern state of Ukraine does not exist without the, the Soviet Union created Ukraine. And yep. that's why he's saying I can I can take it back now. So more or less. But that's part of his argument, like we said before. Yep. Because of that. And that kind of starts with this idea, because when you have the Russian Revolution that's happening during World War One, the Bolsheviks take control of most of the Russian Empire. Right. They recognize essentially the independence of different republics that they are including. Um, and until there, like Ukraine is briefly independent when it's taken over by the Bolsheviks together with Russia becomes the Soviet, you know, the United Soviet Republics, right? Like it becomes one of the Soviet Union nations. And from that point forward, actually, initially, at least, uh, Lenin kind of sides with Ukrainians and he wants to give them some autonomy. And he's just like, all right, I, I kind of see it. We are united. And the idea was that all of the Soviet nations that were brought into the Soviet Union, including Ukraine being the main one. I mean, Ukraine is is a huge country. It's one of the biggest countries in Europe. You know, and as this brought in, it's not really a country. It's brought in as a Soviet or a state. And they're given this autonomy. And this autonomy really kind of lasts until Stalin. Stalin. I mean, Stalin's Stalin, kind yeah. of the one that... Stalin doesn't like it. Yeah, Does not like it. No. Yeah. And that's when and he gets into the, the infamous Holdemore, I think. Well, yeah, that's basically when he, start, when he institutes the famine. Like, yeah, that's, 1930s. Yeah, and that's seen as, I believe there's, the U.S. actually has a monument to it, right? Somewhere? I think so. Uh, the Ukrainian famine and the Soviet, well, the, uh, Putin's government, they still do not recognize it. Like, the world governments recognize it as a genocide. 
and the Russians say we have no we bear no responsibility for that whatsoever. To it this day, bad, actually, yeah, yeah, it was just a bad winter. Yeah, you know, up to a tough time. So it, again, it's showing their mindset, like the government mindset, anyway, in a lot of ways. Yep. But that's what what essentially happened during this Holodomor, this death famine. I mean, uh, this starving famine in 1930s is that's when Stalin really brings Ukraine into Russia, more or less. You know, what I mean, like, he basically says like, "Oh, you're starving. Like, yeah. you you want to fix that? Like, well, he almost he almost wanted that. Well, he wanted them all to starve out, and he started bringing um, Russian speaking people in the repopulate yep. the area. Yep. So that was another thing too. Like, oh, you're all there, all dying out. Good. Now he's sending all these other non-Ukrainians of non you know non-heritage that area and like, right, you're going to repopulate now and a lot of the descendants are the ones that are there today so that's yeah, something to, more russians to. are joining those descendants in certain yeah. regions of the ukraine mostly in the east right which kind of makes sense why this whole thing started in a disputed region right yes which the east is also pretty rich in natural gas and other natural resources you know if you look at some of the if there's a fuel shortage or you know are we going after oil or is that what putin's doing um, and using this as the excuse to reappropriate um, that did come to light. What was it? 2014. Yep. First time that they invaded, or I should say Russia um, did. And ironically, I'd also want to bring this up. This is the third time that he invades right around the Olympics. Yeah. Right after the Olympics, he like right. waits for that to be over. Mm -hmm. and then yeah. You know, and it's not always every Olympics or, you know, they got some winter games or some summer games events, but um using it where the world stage is kind of you know public and everybody's paying attention to it and you know putin's flexing some muscle and that's an know, interesting point yeah that's an mm -hmm. interesting point some power only time will tell with this but yeah. it's just an interesting fact that he times it so like eloquently with this interesting because Russia had controlled the eastern Ukraine for so much longer, and because they brought in, especially nineteen, well, they brought they kind of controlled them for centuries, really, from seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, and and in nineteen thirties when they brought even more Russians to the eastern part, it almost made Ukraine kind of divided into like the western Ukraine that was clearly to the control of European powers, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and stuff like that, and then you have the eastern one that really have stronger ties to Russia. Russia, yeah, right, yeah, and and also th this is very much seen when it comes to speech patterns. Like people in Eastern Ukraine speak a lot more Russian than the, you know, not that they don't speak Ukrainian, they speak Ukrainian as well, but they speak Russian more so than people that are in the West. Also, the Eastern population tends to be more Orthodox, while the West population is more Catholic because identifies more with Poland, Austria, Hungary. Um, when you Soviet Union collapsed in ninety one. Uh, Ukraine becomes an independent nation, but this doesn't this not necessarily mean that it's going to everything. Oh, they had a hard future. time handling democracy. Very hard time, there. right? Yeah. few things. One that I read that I thought it was interesting is that when Ukraine becomes independent in 91, a lot of nuclear weapons are still stored in Ukraine. What apparently happens is they strike a deal with Russia that they're going to return a lot of the nuclear weapons that were stored in Ukraine. Um to Russia, and in exchange, Russia's going to basically hook them up with natural gas, oil, and natural resources that they need. And that's kind of how that deal went. And the other portion of the deal was that Russia also had a fleet of ships on the Black Sea, which Ukraine was going to allow them to keep on the Black Sea, which again plays a big part in 2014. But And that's a big 
deal the, the, yeah. the ships on the the black sea the crimean peninsula is one of the only warm water ports in the yeah, western part of russia that they have access to that's a big thing yeah. for putin he wants that yeah. he wants a warm water port because he knows if he's on a naval power he's nothing yeah so, and and that's a big thing it's always been a big thing for russia a yeah, warm water I mean, port even going back to the crimean war in the 1800s you know, over control of that port was vital for trade, being able to have all year round ships come in and out, unload, you know, goods and export them. But the problem is they have access to the sea in the north, but it freezes. So, you know, you can't get your ships in and out. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. throughout the entire year. That's a problem. You're not going to be a world power without a warm water port. It's just not going to happen, especially Especially, nowadays. Yeah, especially on the European side, right? Like where he's trying to show his strength and you're going to have a lot of goods to exchange. What starts to happen here is really what uh, comes down to rather is Ukraine since uh, the fall of Soviet Union, depending, you know, it's been going through its own issues and different presidencies and so on and so forth. But in 2000s is you have this shift that some people in Ukraine believe that they should become part of NATO, that they should really become more westernized. Former, and the United States is kind of friendly and okay with this idea. And while yeah. there is another group of Ukrainians, again, you have this ethnic East versus West that don't believe that. And they actually think that ties with Russia should be strengthened. And actually, shortly thereafter is when Russia invaded Georgia. I'm not sure if you guys remember in 2008. And that was also it's kind of like, wait, hold on a second, because now here you have the United States that's talking about potentially allowing Ukraine into NATO. Well, let's explain NATO a little bit, right? Yeah, right. I think we should. You're right. Go. So so basic nutshell, right? North Atlantic Treaty Organization. What is it? 28. I believe now it's 28 European countries two North American countries. Yeah, more or less. And uh, it's basically it's the world's largest military alliance. And it's was started in the Cold War, still around now. And it's been slowly extending eastward. Right. I guess since the fall of the Soviet Union. And that's where Putin's really saying Putin doesn't like There's one thing when like Poland joined it and everything. But now having if Ukraine joins, it, that's basically having a military alliance with your biggest rival. Right. Right on your border, which is, which is something he says we can't have for security purposes. Yep. It would be like if Mexico made a, I mean, like an alliance with, with Russia, yep. you know, can't be allowed. And it's not just because someone wanted to join NATO doesn't mean they were going to join NATO. Yeah. I'm not I sure mean, how much goes, Ukraine was ever going to. Yeah. It's a long process and there's probably other factors to be involved there. But um, one of the things is that, yeah, Putin wanted like a reassurance that NATO would um, never accept Ukraine and, and even like backtrack some of their other Promises. movements yeah, yeah, yeah. in the past couple of years. And they were just like, no, we're not going to say that. We can't, we're not going to guarantee that. That's something that kind of irked Putin to maybe doing a lot of this too, or definitely yep. he, he's saying forced his hand, but yeah. Yep. So you had Viktor Yankovic was president of Ukraine. This is 2013. 
And he essentially, when he's elected in 2013 as the president of Ukraine, right, Viktor Yanukovych, he is very much pro-Russia. And being pro-Russia, he's trying to kind of backtrack all these, hey, let's join NATO. And also at the same time, he's backing out of uh, an economic deal with European Union because for some time there, Ukraine was trying to also join the European Union. So this guy is so pro-Russia that he basically like opts out of all of these, you know, pro-Western deals. And there was a big uprising in Ukraine in 2013. And because they believe that this leader is becoming too pro-Russia, mind you, he was technically elected. So you have these big protests that in 2014 force Yankovic from power. They basically overthrow him. And once they overthrow him, at that point, President Putin offers support for any Russian-speaking people or separatists, all right? And specifically in the region, it's the one, Donbass It's one of the region. provinces... It's one yeah. of the regions where he said are they're sovereign there. He's yep. recognizing they're breaking away from Ukraine. Yep. That's where a lot of Russians live. Yeah, That's what I say. They're more like, it's like the Eastern region. Uh, yeah. And he's trying to say that he's going to bring support to these people because there is now an unfriendly government that overthrew a democratically yeah. elected pro-Russian leader. You know, I'm going to have to protect Russian interests in there, which kind of yeah. starts this idea that what brings us to Crimea, I think. And this is way back in 2014. Yep, like you said. 2014. Crimea was technically made, I don't know if you guys saw this too, Crimea was made part of Ukrainian Soviet Republic during the Soviet era by Khrushchev in the 50s. Uh, prior to that, it was not part of Ukraine. So he's simply saying, when you know, 2014, he was like, well, Crimea really doesn't really belong to Ukraine when he invades the peninsula in February of 2014. That was kind of the beginning of, of where we are today, was Putin's takeover of Crimea. By apparently the 2015 ceasefire in Crimea, the entire, you know, Russia versus Ukraine has already killed about 14,000 people since 2014. There's been fighting and it, 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 there was, well, they did make some sort of peace treaty, I believe. And both sides are basically saying you haven't. They did like a ceasefire, the, yeah. The ceasefire, neither, both sides say you haven't lived up to, you know, what you agree to with the ceasefire. That's the reason why what's going on is going on, you know? Putin uh, mobilized, did give warning that he was mobilizing, and quickly attacked, even though he said he had only military targets. He has already hit residential areas, killing civilians, not military, just personnel um, in combat. And, it, you know, people right now in the Ukraine are worried. And as well as people living in Russia. And I want to point this out because I feel like, you know, we're saying Putin and Russia, but it's really the Russian government that's backing this because you have a lot of people in Moscow right now that are Russians protesting against this and they are not happy. I mean, throw back to when Putin re-ran for, uh, you know, leadership the second time around, and it's been almost 10 years at this point, but you had like in, I don't know, some ridiculous negative 30 degrees um, below freezing people out there protesting that they didn't want him to be the leader. And many, many people came out with their entire families. Uh, and they're talking about corruption in the government and with elections and flat out the political advisor for Putin's campaign was like, yeah, we're cheating. So is everybody else. Like they weren't even hiding the fact that the government was corrupt. So, um, I could see as, you know, being a citizen of Russia, how that could be frustrating at this point, because, you know, the whole world's pointing a finger at you and you might not even have control within your own country. Yeah. That's kind of goes to that whole like wag the, thor- wag the dog theory too with him, because 
he's, they say he's trying to like energize the nationalist feelings at home, Putin, because he's done this before in the past, whenever he was kind of threatened, he would just like put things down, even domestic challenges, like you said, what he's doing with the, um, with the protest, but the, the economy in Russia is not doing well, even before no. this, they had the pandemic raging. So a lot of those opposition groups really had some of their largest anti-Putin protest in years going up to this. So they're saying he's doing this to kind of galvanize his base to get that nationalist feeling up again. You know, a war could be good for his overall image because that's his image of being this like strong, decisive leader going up against the West, that that, that sort of thing. Um, and I think we should works, talk about, right? We should talk about Putin too. I mean, if we, so back, background of Putin, he born in 52, St. Petersburg, then it was Leningrad at the time. And he really made a career for himself as a KGB intelligence officer. So basically like there's yeah. CIA, the Soviet CIA, right? Becomes, technically joins the top ranks of Russian government um, when he joins President Boris Yeltsin's administration in 1998. He becomes a prime minister in 1999. And then when Yeltsin steps over, he makes him, so in 99, he makes Putin kind of like a temporary, um, what do you call it? Temporary leader of the nation. Prior to that, he on Yeltsin's staff, he held like a security council position. So Yeltsin resigns in 99 as president. Putin becomes an acting president until official elections when she then wins. He's reelected in 2004. And then after he's reelected, there's at the time, because Russia was still running under its original democratic constitution that was created after the fall of the Soviet Union in 91, the president could only have two term limits. So he's forced to leave the presidency in 2008, but secures the office for his protege. Oh, prime minister. Right? Yeah. And he becomes, and, and he minister, becomes right? himself a prime minister. But he kind of gets all the power that he had. Like, it was really weird how they did it. Like, they just kind of shifted all the power over to him. To anyway. the prime minister. Yep. And he stayed yeah. prime minister until 2012. And then at that point, he they changed the constitution to say that he could run again. So he's been reelected in 2012 and basically just continues to be now, elected. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, by all accounts, this guy's been empowered since really 99, 2000. Yeah, he, ha- he has his own cult of personality there, too. Like, like big this, time. this guy's. There's like the, the Putin calendars and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, hundred percent. The, the yeah. songs about Putin and, and just like the image of him like riding like, riding a horse, killing tiger yeah, horse and killing tigers and stuff like that with no shirt on. Yeah, yeah, it's like Nuts. a big deal. Yeah, he's he's like a celebrity there too. It's a whole different nuts um, yeah. mindset. Yeah, so this has been something brewing. Like we said, we're talking about the history of it. This was something that was brewing for a long time. There's always been that part of the world. There's it's it's not something that just happens overnight. That just happened, you know, the last couple months when they were amassing troops. They're saying this is something that Putin's probably been planning for a long time because, you know, he even said the worst thing that ever happened was the fall of the Soviet Union. So that yeah. also kind of shows you that his mindset. That's a, that's a quote from him. So I kind of want to finish off with this. Uh, the thing, question I think we all got asked today was, one, are we going to World War Three? Two, how is this going to affect us in the United States? And three, is, are they going to reinstitute the draft? So what are, what are your opinion, guys? <laughs> they really, they were, you know, I really they were got those questions. <laughs> There's no draft. This is not World War Three. This is not going to be a draft. I mean, you guys can have different opinions, but I, I don't think there's going to be a draft. I, no. I think the, the kids, especially in class today, um, it was nice that they were paying attention to world events, but I think it just went from like zero to a hundred. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, this is happening. So, is there a potential? Because right, they're going to be within the time frame if a draft were to ever be instituted, um, and 
I think that's where a lot of the questions were stemming from. Like, what is, you know, like, am I going to college next year or am I going off to like boot camp? Um, but also, is college still a deferment since so many people go to college? If there ever was a draft, I, I mean, the last time there was I a think draft, it depends was on the draft there. itself. It depends yeah. on the draft itself, I think, when, yeah. when when they do it and if they want to put that in there. Right? But, because think how many more people go to college since 1970s. I mean, fundamentally yeah. changed that. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. But I World War Three, I don't. But I thought, I like, it was just, you know, like, we're jumping over so many other hoops. I think the idea that Putin said anyone that helps or assists Ukraine will have dire consequences yep. did not help the situation, right? And with social media now being able to send information quickly to the masses. I mean, kids were talking about even like soldiers in U- Ukrainian soldiers. They were showing videos. They were showing me videos, uh, like live videos yeah. of things blowing up in Ukraine during class today. Yeah. And like the soldiers are creating TikToks and sending them out. So I feel like that is why this kind of amassed so quickly amongst the youth um, and got their attention because they're on social media, right? Like that's some of them, that's their lifeline yeah. all day. Like their yeah, connection. So I was like, first of all, we don't get our news through that just straight up. But, um, you know, they did have some purposeful questions. But again, jumping through, skipping many steps along the way. And even, you know, a lot of kids were asking, can we watch, you know, President Biden's address to see kind of where the U.S. stands after all of this is happening? And I was like, why not? Like, you know, it's well, so that kind of brings me to that to that other question. Right. What do you guys think? How is this going to affect the United States? I mean, ultimately, the United well, States get, still gets most of its oil from Russia. I think they said we get I, I, I was saying we get less than 10 percent from Russia. really. I saw Europe, 40. Europe gets it. Europe gets it. And not us. Europe gets a lot. Less, yeah, we get most of ours, I think, from uh, as well here. We get, right. Yeah. From 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 South from America Mexico and stuff, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. Um, but you're going to see gas prices go up. That's just something that's going to happen just yeah. because the the world market and things like that. Um, but we're not. We're, Biden already said you're not sending troops. We're not sending troops in for Ukraine. It's just not happening. Now, if if Russia somehow decides to go further west, that's the only thing. That's, but NATO's already come out and said we're going to defend every inch of NATO territory. So if you even step into or get by a NATO country, now you're going to have to fight 30 other countries. That's something that it just doesn't make sense for Russia to do. Not that this makes total sense, but at least you can see their logic. To continue west, it's just not going to be something that's going to help. But them that would bring us into any... World War Three. I mean, think about it. He well, invades Poland. But... Boom, World War Three. Okay, but why would you? It, it this doesn't. It this. It, I, I get you saying this is if, if he does that. Yeah. Yes, that'd be World War Three, I suppose. But it just doesn't make any sense for him to continue doing that. It's not something that he's even been talking about. It's something to say. Let me go into. To, to Poland or yeah. any of these other NATO countries is he knows what that's going to be, you know? And also, know, I think, I hope we learned our, ironically, I'm teaching World War One this year, this week, literally their test is tomorrow. Um, but the idea that hopefully this is not going to escalate where the whole world's at war in a week yeah. and learning from some yeah. of the past yeah. mistakes that we've made globally. Um, and you know, it, is it just a flex of power and strength? Not just that. I mean, like a country is getting invaded right now, but also it begs the question: like, how much time has to pass before, you know, if you don't don't have control over Ukraine, it doesn't belong to you after so many decades, right? Like, under no matter what you believe, yeah, yeah. 
understandably there are russians living there right but how many also did he send into the ukraine to take over certain areas to possibly use that as an excuse so there's there's a couple different layers to look at that but you know time will tell but hopefully again we'll take the lessons from the past so things don't escalate too quickly i mean we're starting with sanctions and uh if anything you know nato might have gotten a little bit more united in the last week I mean, yeah, troops are being, uh, I think he he made that obvious also today to President Biden that he is going to be sending in troops um, to different NATO countries. To bolster NATO, yeah, Yeah. the NATO countries, they're they're organizing. We are sending arms and things to Ukraine to them to fight off the the Russians. So it's not going to be something, even, and they even said Ukraine's not like a pushover. Yeah. As far as that goes, they have modern weapons. They've they've been kind of ready for something like this too. Oh, I, we didn't mention this, but the one thing that did not help their military in the last 24 hours was the cyber attacks. That yes. Yeah, that hurt, yeah. Well, I, heard, I did see that they took over Chernobyl. Yes, yes. I did, did see, see that. that? Yeah. yeah, they wanted they took over that and they were kind but of But it's just... the thing. So, I mean, think about it. Ukraine sits on so much uranium. Like, this is almost, you know, you start thinking, like, does that have anything to do with it? Well, another big thing they, is um, the Russian government does pay pays ukraine i think they said two billion dollars a year to um they to run a pipeline that these russia sells so much natural gas and stuff and um, oil to other parts of europe and if they take over ukraine they don't have to pay that like they control it then so they wouldn't have that's two billion dollars that they would have pump into their own economy instead of having to pay ukraine and they're saying that's another major reason why putin's probably doing what he's doing Hmm. i'm really curious how this is going to play out like you know if i if i listen to this in 20 years how this is going to play out. Not that I'm going to listen to this podcast in 20 years, but I might, you know, you never know. <laughs> never know. Never I don't know. You don't think we're going to be around in 20 years, Pete. Hey, we're not going to be, no, I, I'm not saying when of World War Three. I've been telling so my students happy. there will be no World yeah. War Three. That's That was my thing today. No World War Three. Just make sure you don't lose your selective service cards, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we still, our numbers still are still active, Pete. I, no, we're too old. We're in our 30s. No. We don't, our numbers, our, our, numbers our numbers are still active. I checked. Oh man, it's still there. That's kind of scary. I don't think we'd be going to be drafted, but I'm just saying, technically, our numbers are still there. Oh, you guys are funny. All right, well, thank you so much. Thanks, Danielle, for joining us. This was awesome. Yeah, popping in, popping in. That was awesome. Uh, and thank you to everyone else that tunes in every week and listens to us. We really appreciate it. If you uh, want to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com, and that's what we are. We're history teachers that are talking. So, yeah. hope everyone. Has an amazing, Especially awesome this week, episode, yeah. right? <laughs> Everyone, hope I hope you guys have a nice week, and we'll see you guys next week. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? 
I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.